här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradion 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. In the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. Utrikespolitik. Inga pajaskonster. Inte hehe. Okej, så välkommen till today's episode at Radio UF. Today in the studio you are with me, Evelina, who is, will be hosting this show, and Sara. Hello. And Melker. Hi. So we're going to talk about the conflict in Ukraine. Why are we here? Good question. I think the intro was kind of existential, so it kind of fits in a way. But it's clear that this is a momentous shift in European security thinking, and uh, it will be interesting to explore it today. Definitely. So I'm going to start talking a little bit about the lead up to the conflict and the narratives and then we're going to keep going about it. We're back at Radio UF and you just heard Mano with Urel. Sara, would you like to start off? Yeah, I would love to. Um, so as we all know, on the morning of February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. This operation followed months of heightened intensity of threats and deteriorating relations between the two neighboring countries. And the lead up to the current war has been longer than just the last few months, of course, but uh, I won't go into too much detail about what led up to the conflict. Instead, I thought it would be interesting to look at how the situation is portrayed in the two countries. Because the official narratives promoted by the governments differ significantly, and I think these can help us to understand how the parties view what is happening. So starting with Russia, there has uh, for quite some time now been a portrayal of Ukraine as a fake country. For example, last summer, President Putin published an essay on the topic where he argued that Ukraine is not a real country and uh, that Ukrainians and Russians are essentially the same people. And in this article, he also criticizes the borders of Ukraine and claims that, that, quote, Russia was robbed, end quote. And these statements appeared again in the weeks leading up to the invasion, uh, most notably in the speech Putin gave on the morning of the attack. And uh, he also claimed in this speech th- that morning that uh, the Russian residents of eastern Ukraine are being subjected to genocide, And he has repeatedly said that Ukraine is run by neo-Nazis. And I think these kind of statements really portray Ukraine as the oppressor. And it makes it seem like Russia has no other option than to use force. And the state-run media in Russia is not using the word invasion or attack. Rather, they're saying that it's a special military operation, uh, which also makes it seem like it's a necessary thing or that it's uh, not... Uh, an aggression. And uh, the government has uh, prohibited several non-state media channels to use these words in describing what is happening, as they uh, they claim that this is like a disinformation campaign. And on the Ukrainian side, it is of course the narrative that Russia is the absolute aggressor. But what I found more interesting uh, when re- researching the Ukrainian side is uh, to think about how 
President Zelensky is really trying to like bolster his ties to Europe. On social media and in speeches, he has been calling for action around the world to condemn Russia's aggression and also to exclude Russia from the international community in as many ways as possible. And statements like, uh, the world is with us, and uh, uh, building an anti-Putin coalition together show that he really wants to align himself uh, with the West and create this sense of uh, fundamental support. And in the national address on uh, Thursday, Zelensky said that this war was uh, waged quote, against the entire democratic world, end quote. And in this same address, he also called on the strength of the Ukrainian people. And I think this shows that President Zelensky really wants to, like, emphasize the image of Ukrainian unity. And this, I think, is a tactic of bringing people together and creating a strong resistance to uh, Russia. Yeah, and he he wanted to exclude uh, Russia from um, uh, its leading position at uh, the UN, right, as well? arguing that they're not the true successor of the USSR. Right, right. And that's really clear, um, just looking at his uh, social media and and things. But I just want to point out really quickly that uh, I really think it's important to think about when you're thinking of the narratives that the governments, especially in Russia, then are pointing out that uh, it's whether the population actually believe these narratives is a very different question. So we should just keep that in mind. Sure is. So we're back at Radio UF and you just listened to Otrygg Provanställning by Hurula. Now we're going to ask Melker some questions. He's going to start off with the current updates about Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's difficult as well because, um, as you know, and as we said, it's been barely a week. At the time of recording, it's... Uh, Wednesday evening, and of course the attacks were, uh, started on Thursday morning. At the start of the invasion, there was a multifrontal assault, both from the east, trying to break through the uh, front lines of the separatist-held parts of the Donbass, and through the north and northwest. And especially interesting here is that a lot of Russian troops staged in Belarus. So this compared uh, in um, combination with the assault from the south, from the Crimea, really shows that this is a long planned attack. That makes it a lot more interesting because it isn't really turning out the way Russia would have wanted, as many people have noticed. Because despite a large multiple from assault and with Russia being superior to the Ukrainian military power and in amount of military power as well, we still see that um, not a lot of uh, larger cities has fallen to Russian troops. They appear to avoid large cities moving towards Kiev and also trying some, to put it kindly, daring air assaults that um, have failed trying to capture main airfields to uh, facilitate airlifts into Ukraine. So um, this is hard to uh, work with as a foreign policy guy because uh, we've seen Russia as a very, very competent threat. But so far, it's um, the Russian army has bogged down, they've been run out of towns, they have surrendered, they have abandoned their vehicles, and supply lines have been failing as well. And this is really not what either Russia or even Ukraine expected, I think. The Ukrainian defense is kind of overperforming and the Russian assault is underperforming. But we've also seen that that has changed recently, that we have more focus on shelling. And sadly, this also 
causes more civilian casualties. So, as many people have said, it seems like the ideal situation was a kind of desert storm scenario where the opponent rolls in through the country, takes control of the larger cities, and within a day or so, uh, the conflict is over. And that would be very beneficial for Russia, because then there wouldn't be an international response. And the interesting thing about the international response, I think, is that how much it's based on the extremely well-performed Ukrainian media campaign. Since the beginning, we've had uh, constant updates and the internet in Ukraine has stayed up, which is um, also an area where we thought that Russia would be more competent. And in addition to that, there are a lot of, as you've seen uh, internationally and in Europe, uh, manifestations to support Ukraine. Just this day, there was a large one in Uppsala. But also, we have a large media campaign, and uh, the Ukrainian President Zelensky, he still stays in Kiev despite uh, rumored attempts at his life. And furthermore, he has become much more popular during the war, and that's interesting because this has basically united Ukraine against a common enemy. So if he makes it through this conflict, and if Ukraine uh, remains somehow independent, he's basically set for life as a national hero of sorts. And that's partly due to co the communications teams. They have been very clear, uh, uplifting, um, heroic acts by Ukrainian soldiers interviewing Russian prisoners. And I think one of the most interesting things is the hotline that they've set up, set up for Russian people to call in to Ukraine and ask, is my son or my husband or my brother, is he all right? Is he a prisoner of war? And I think this is a very effective propaganda tool for Ukraine. And I think this has also played a huge role in the most important parts of the war, according to me, international support, because now where the entire country of Europe and the entire continent has a, all eyes on Ukraine and a clear support for the Ukrainian cause, we can see the government act in ways that um, support the Ukrainian state and allow them to continue fighting. But I'm sure that we will get back to that just after the break. Okay, so we're back at Radio UF and you just heard Själen Svart by Sinan. Um, the person talking is I, Evelina, and with me I have Sara and Melker. We're going to discuss the international relations related to the Ukraine conflict. And uh, as we know, the Russian moves have been called a brutal act of war by NATO Secretary Jens Stoltenberg. And uh, as we have brought up earlier, this is something we didn't expect to happen at this time in history. And uh, the troops are moving to Ukraine and we don't support any of the actions that uh, Russia is taken. So... The Swedish statements regarding the conflict are very strong and we are strongly opposed to what's happening in this conflict. Uh, however, as we know, Sweden is not a member of NATO, which is something we're going to discuss. And Melker, did you have something on that? Yeah, I mean, regarding NATO, I think we'll probably return to that as well. But the most interesting thing is the Swedish um, uh, decisions to send such a large amount of weapons to Ukraine. And 
uh, I keep saying it, but we'll, we might get back to that as well. But this sort of new form of war support that uh, we haven't really engaged in before. And I think that, this is my personal opinion, but I think that this might be a positive a show of European solidarity. Well put. And US has already sent many troops, almost 90,000 people, which is very, very high number. To the surrounding countries, right? Yeah, exactly. Thank you for clarifying. And um, Shocking news, our <laughs> Yeah, sorry for laughing, that's inappropriate. Um, back to what I was saying is that uh, it's not Swedish practice to send military equipment to conflict zones. Um, and the last time Sweden did so, uh, to any great extent, was when the Soviet Union attacked Finland in 1939. And the prime minister stated that Sweden's security best benefits from Sweden supporting Ukraine's opportunities to defend itself against Russia. And the extensive support for Ukraine's armed forces provided by the government takes place in close coordination with other countries. In addition to this, Sweden will increase humanitarian aid to Ukraine by 500 million Swedish crowns. And uh, important to know is that Finland is in the same situation as Sweden, and we're going to discuss this further on later as well. Proxy warfare is something we are worried about. Yeah. yeah. We don't want Russia to uh, yeah, see it as a declaration of war, since this is the great support of the Ukraine states in their war with Russia. Yeah, and for those who, who don't know, proxy war is when a war is conducted by two countries in another country. Yes. Um, Think the entire Cold War, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. I just wanted to add also to what I thought it was, was interesting, what uh, Melker was saying about European solidarity and that Sweden is, uh, you know, supplying Ukraine with helmets and uh, some weapons and and things uh, that it's like interesting to think about what in the context of Europe what uh, other European countries would think of Sweden if we didn't do that just think twice about like the motives that the Swedish government has to actually send these uh, things that we haven't done since uh, yeah. since uh, Finland yeah yeah definitely um, I think it's important, uh, also speculation, uh, but I think it's definitely strategic, uh, since we're not pe- yeah. part of NATO, uh, to kind of ensure ourselves as well, uh, in case it would escalate and uh, show our support to NATO countries mm-hmm. um, for future uh, interactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the main, uh, it, it might not be entirely selfless, this donation, because I mean, the hope would probably be that if there is a military situation in Sweden, then we would see the same response from uh, other European countries. And this is a form of deterrence that I think is much, uh, it's very appreciated because it's not nuclear. It doesn't really rely on a huge standing army as well. So this is history in the making, however we slice it. But uh, we're going to have to have a short break now for some music. Welcome back to Radio F. You just listened to Die Young by Rotten Mind. We're going to discuss further what's happening in the Ukraine. And for this part, we also welcome Dario. Hi, guys. Interesting point that you guys were bringing up in the previous segment, talking about 
how the international reaction has been aimed at uh, supporting Ukraine, both economically, militarily, in the form of arms shipments and the like. But I think it's also important to talk about how the international community is uh, responding towards dealing with Russia in this point, because while we try to help Ukraine as much as we can, we've also got to figure out how to balance the tide in their favor against uh, what is clearly a much larger aggressor. Obviously, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of talks about sanctions and a lot of talks about potential actions that can be taken in dealing with uh, Russia's inva outright invasion of Ukraine, because it is the West that we're really talking about. There's sanctions, whenever they're talked about, we've uh, usually heard them in terms of vague economic or political actions, such as freezing assets, uh, limiting the movement. I, th I think I remember the UK government said that they were limiting um, Putin and Sergei Lavrov's, um, the foreign minister's, uh, ability to enter the country. And then, of course, there's been all the talk about cancelling flights. I've heard from a lot of Russians that I know here in Uppsala that they aren't able to, um, they aren't able to return home. Uh, and the like, they can't come here to Europe. But, of course, these are generic things that uh, have been going on, uh, generic actions that have been taken, but more importantly, things that have been going around in the news are two actions in particular. We've got the option to cancel Russia from uh, the SWIFT financial agreement and we've got the option to uh, impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Now what do these two things mean? Uh, with regards to SWIFT, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, SWIFT is essentially the uh, institution that allows banks to send money between each other. So whenever you send a bank transfer, inter usually internationally, uh, you will send it via this, this system. That's where uh, IBAN, IBAN comes from. There are a lot of things regarding this. This will obviously hurt Russia economically if it happens, and it has, the threat of it is really ruble into a tailspin. There's a lot of reasons why countries in the West would not want, would not want to actually take this action, because, for example, Germany then can't pay for gas, which uh, they're very, at least in the current moment, very highly dependent on uh, the imports of Russian gas natural gas. It also hurts the geopolitical balance because China has been developing their own financial system, their own competitor to SWIFT, and if we were to block that out, we would then maybe see the SIPS system take over and potentially play around with the balance of power uh, for the West yeah. in terms of how we control the, the international banking system. A new competitor. Yeah. And then the other option, of course, is the no-fly zone. Now, this is a very simple thing. This is simply, I mean, we've already seen that no planes have been flying over Ukraine in uh, the last over the last week. Yeah, all civilian flights. All civilian flights. Have not, no, civilian flights have been flying over. You can see it if you ever check out uh, Flight Radar. Is the, what this action would entail is essentially stopping any foreign plane from uh, interfering in Ukrainian airspace. So this would involve stopping Russian jets, stopping Russian missiles. And there's been a lot of calls on NATO to take this course of action. And, of course, we've heard from the US and the UK in particular directly refusing to do this. And it's not without a warranted reason, because if the US is to suddenly start saying, okay, we're going to shoot out any foreign planes in Ukrainian uh, airspace, that means we can only shoot down Russian ones. And that is tantamount to declaring an actual war on Russia. It's uh, a potential for escalation. It's a very high potential for escalation, especially when uh, Russia, when Putin actually put the nukes on uh, not on high alert, but he has them ready. Yeah, increased alert. increased re increased uh, readiness. Mm -hmm. That ties into something else that we've been planning to discuss. So we'll get back to that as well. Yeah, of thank course. you. So thank you.
We're back at Radio UF, and you just heard Becoming All Alone by Regina Spector. I'm here with Sara, Dario, and Melker, and this is Evelina speaking. I know we're going to uh, pick up what we talked about before the song, and I know Melker is very eager to start this off. Yeah, I mean, during the entire week, I've basically been getting messages from relatives and friends that worry worry about the state of the war. I know my family just brought a storm kitchen, like a portable portable gasoline stove, in case things would get really bad. But um, I don't really think we'll see that yet. Um, It seems like Russia is kind of content with accepting that, okay, countries will support Ukraine by giving them military material, but as long as they aren't boots on the ground soldiers in Ukraine, for the moment, the conflict won't escalate past the current um, front lines. But um, it is worrying in a bit, and uh, who knows what will happen next. Well, it is funny that you mentioned that, because I do remember that uh, one of the crazy things that Putin came out with this week... uh, ended up being that uh, if Sweden and Finland were to try and make any steps to join NATO, there would be consequences. What do you guys think about that? Rhetoric. I mean, I think it's really, of course, it's hard for us to say, but uh, I think that all of us agree that the invasion of Ukraine this size was very unexpected, which I think is really scary thinking about the threats that Putin is making now, and now we're yeah, maybe we feel like it's very unbelievable that he will maybe escalate the situation further that will affect us. I thought so about the Ukraine situation as well. So Yeah, definitely. As of now, I think it's more of a threat uh, to show their position and that they are a powerful regime and that they are not be uh, dismissed that easily. Moving back to Europe in general, I think the, the big problem is, uh, well, we haven't had anything like this happen on the continent of Europe since, uh, well, about 80 years ago. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out from like an IR perspective if this is something more akin to the invasion of Poland or the annexation of Czechoslovakia yeah. by the Germans at that time. Because one entails that, well, we might end up just allowing Russia to go ahead with this. We're going to sanction them, but we're not going to intervene. The other is, well, we saw it happen when Germany invaded Poland. Yeah. So are we mm-hmm. going to allow World War III to happen? And what kind of a war is going to come? Like, are we going to yeah. end up continuing escalation until there's actually a nuclear launch? Like, that's that's the scary thing for me when yeah. I think about it. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see because um, it's not, uh, as I said earlier, it's not the optimal Russian invasion. Um, a lot of sanctions have come in place. A lot of weapons have been delivered to Ukraine. But then again, Russia is the greater power here. And if it keeps going in this way, and if Russia doesn't feel the economic consequences or the diplomatic ones, then they will win a military victory, i.e. they will control cities. But then again, there's insurgent warfare, and that will no doubt keep going for several years, if that's the case. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Does, I don't think Russia wants to uh, control our, all of Ukraine. They wanted to knock out Zelensky, get in their mm. own government, and then yeah. leave within 24 hours, mm. back in Moscow for lunch, basically. Mm. But this this isn't happening, and it's going to hurt Russia. Uh, just to add on that, this isn't as fast of an action that Russia expected. And I was thinking that maybe like the Ukrainians, they have much more resolve, like the individual soldier. They have so much more to lose. It's their it, it's their whole system that they could lose by losing this war. But yep. for the Russian soldiers, I I think this is unconfirmed. But many of them 
were told that this was like a military exercise and that they didn't really understand that they were going to an actual war. Or do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like how it comes that Russia is a stronger military, but they're not doing as well in this war? I mean, it all plays into this whole uh, this whole media disinformation that's being that's part of Putin's whole plan. It seems. I mean, because we keep hearing stories of how like the Russian soldiers are coming. They say they're coming for training. We don't know that for sure. We don't know if that's just what they're told to say. But at the same time, with the quality of the soldiers from the battles that we've been hearing so far, it does seem like he's just been sending young conscripts. Yeah, and you know, abandoning pretty expensive Russian equipment. Of course, they can afford to lose some, but then it's it's suboptimal. It's amounting. Yeah. I mean, it seems that there are more losses on the uh, many more losses on the Russian side than on the Ukrainian. But still, the picture is very blurry. Yeah, and uh, keep a pin in that because uh, we have to play some music. Welcome back to Radio F. You just listened to Honey Understand by Noso. Well, yeah, I just we had an, uh, a little discussion about this during the break, and uh, yeah. it's very interesting just thinking about how uh, some kind of agreement would look in this matter, or how even the parties would start talking. Because I know they had some uh, peace talks yesterday or the, or the day before, but mm. um, they didn't lead anywhere, and I, I don't think uh, any of the parties were engaged in them very very thoroughly. I just wanted to know your opinions, what you think maybe could be on the negotiating table, because I feel like the sides are very, very opposing, and, you know, Russia really wants to get rid of President Zelensky, but the Ukrainian, they want to keep their democratically yeah. elected president. That uh, seems incompatible. And Dario, you had some. With these negotiations, talks that happened, I think it was two days ago now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're skeptical from the outset because of even just where they're happening. They're happening on the border with Belarusia, a country which is covert, not even covertly, openly allowing the Russians to invade Ukraine through their territory. It's not very neutral ground. I mean, Ukraine has constantly said to Russia that we can negotiate in Warsaw, we can negotiate in Baku, anywhere else, but not in Moscow, not in Kiev. Yeah, it's bad uh, faith. Exactly. It's it's not really giving the right impression. Well, we need to reach, as everyone who's read the international relations, if you want mediation, you need a mutually hurting stalemate. It hurts too much to continue, so therefore we start talking to each other. And um, the danger is that Russia can probably hold out for quite a long time. And that's why it's important that the Ukrainian insurgents get um, the tools they need. Could be one argument to keep supplying them, of course. But that might risk an escalation, so we can't lead to... Where do, because a full-scale war, a nuclear war, wouldn't be the end, would it? But um, what are you? What do you well, think will happen now? Well, Chernobyl happened in Ukraine, and remember all the hysteria then. I mean, that was just—it was a nuclear reactor yeah. exploding and sending a gas, not only like a cloud of uh, radioactive particles, not only over Ukraine or northern Ukraine, but over Belarusia, Russia, and northern Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, any nuclear exchange that happens, even just limited to Ukraine, has effects for. At least the continent. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Dragging my life into a dream by Girlpool. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, there's so much things to talk about, and we will, without a doubt, return to this continually developing question. Yes, um, and obviously, I think it's very important to highlight the fact that uh, it's important to note where you get your news from, ongoing, and uh, one. One source I can definitely recommend is uh, Svidomian actually reports facts on the ground and information coming 
straight from Ukraine. It's a good place to look for your info. Or if you have like 100 hours a day, you can shift through Twitter for a lot of time like me. Yeah. I don't recommend it. Alternatively, <laughs> another thing, of course, is uh, if you really want to get involved, if you really want to help uh, your Ukrainian friends and family and just the country in general, uh, look for donation drives in your local area. Legitimate on locations drives. Yeah. Legitimate ones. So do your research, important. Check out, yeah. check out protests in your area. Uh, there was one just today here in Uppsala at the Universitätshuset. Just stay close to all of your friends and family and all of those who are close to you. Yeah. Exactly. Stay positive. Thank you for listening. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större.